This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and supporting listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate, or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter today. Ha-cha! Yes? Ho, ho, ha, ha! Remember me, old chum? Jolly devil. Welcome to THN Cover to Cover for Saturday, June 13th, nerds. My name is Matt Baum. And I'm the Internet's Joe Patrick. Here's how it works. Every Saturday morning at 1030 Central Time, Matt and I go live on our Facebook page to rap about the week's nerd news. And then we open the phone lines at 11 for you nerds to play along. You can call us at 402-819-4894. You can click our Facebook call now button for those of you who can't remember that many numbers. Or you can just sit in our Facebook live chat and chat with us if you want to get in on the action. If you can't call in live, you can still play along. That same phone number is connected to a voicemail. Or you can send us an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. But... Before we open these damn phone lines, Joey, we need to give these nerds something to talk about. It is time for Nerd News! Sad news this week, Matt. Legendary Batman writer Denny O'Neill passed away on June 11th from natural causes at age 81. This sounds really bad, but I'm relieved when I hear that famous people or people that I love died of natural causes and not covid like, oh, right. good. Or, you know, <laughs> or anything else terrible. terrible. Sure. You know, horrific body cancers or yeah. <laughs> anything like that. O'Neill is, of course, best known for revitalizing Batman in the very late 60s uh, and early 70s, kind of moving away from the camp era of the Batman 66 TV show and giving us with artist Neil Adams, the Dark Knight detective. He worked with Neil Adams on that title and, and brought about like classic runs like uh, uh, the Joker, the Joker's five-way revenge and um, the, the Rachel Ghoul storyline. He really changed he, Batman. He absolutely he did. did. He left a huge mark. Batman was better for what he did. And probably without Danny O'Neill, we don't have the Batman that we have today. I think it's That's safe to absolutely say that. true. Um, he, He's listed as co-creator for Leslie Tompkins, which I did not realize she was not an older character than that. Uh, I'm, I'll buy that. Richard, Richard Dragon, I love who I know you love. Richard Dragon. Oh, I love Richard Dragon. <laughs> and Asriel. Love Asriel, too. He, he wrote Sword of Asriel, co-creating the character. Definitely want to talk uh, yeah, about he, Denny O'Neill today on the show. I want to hear about your favorite Denny O'Neill stories. I want to talk about... The weird stuff he did, the good stuff he did. We'll celebrate Denny O'Neill all day. It's gonna be awesome. And that's and that was and that's just his Batman stuff. He yeah. wrote that iconic run on uh, Green Lantern, Green Arrow. Uh, you know, my sidekick's a junkie and all that. Yeah. Um, he wrote Superman versus Muhammad Ali, which is just rad. He, you know, what I mean, this is a paycheck, baby. I get it. Yeah, he's got kids uh, mouths to feed, right? Yeah. So Denny O'Neill, shout out to you today, buddy. Um, Another weird thing that popped up late yesterday. You know how Tom King's Batman run was supposed to last 100 issues? Yes, it did. And then they said, well over 100. Yeah. And then they said, whoops, just kidding. It's only 85. (laughs) But we're going to give you a 12 issue miniseries to to say your final piece. Which and I'm not solid on this, but 85 plus 12. Is that over 100? 
that's at least a hundred and five. Right. I, I'm not. Uh, Comic math. But the, man. Bat, the Batman Catwoman series has never come out, and there are no signs of it anywhere on the horizon. And now, writer James Tinney in the Four just came right out and said it. I don't think Batman Catwoman is going to be in continuity. They can't do it, right? I mean, they just can't. <laughs> There's too much going on as it is. I, the, it's all of DC right hell? now feels like it's just exploding, right? What the hell is happening over there? Seriously. So here's Tinian's here, here's Tinian's d- direct quote. He says it is quote moving outside the bounds of continuity, and it won't have an effect on his ongoing run on the core title. I don't know that he anyone said, cares either. He said, I'm looking forward to reading it in the same way I'm excited to read three Jokers, but neither of them really have much effect on the core story I'm telling. Good Lord. Between, so with this nonsense and generations going down in flames, like, I don't think DC has any clue Yeah, where they're going. There's some, like, it's rudderless right now, I think, to say the least. This is just one example of weird crap that's going on at DC that we don't know what's in continuity what's happening with these characters, where they're at, if comic shops are going to carry their comics anymore. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. I don't even know. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, I don't even want to put the blame on, like, them firing DiDio or whatever. Like, because clearly there was a plan. Right. They spent months and months and months working in advance on this Generations initiative. And then it's just, they were just like, yeah, we studied that shit, too. We sat down and we looked at the fuzzy pictures that they put up at San Diego Comic-Con and we studied it and came up with theories of how it's going to work. And you had creators presenting theories, breaking their backs to bend over and go, nope, uh, it actually fits in like this. And now all of that is quietly gone. Yeah, like <laughs> they they turned Wally West into Dr. Manhattan. They solicited the first two issues. It was imminent. Yeah. And then, it, and then nothing. It's nuts. And now the and now the guy that ran what I guess you could argue is DC's flagship title in Batman. They just were like shuffled him off to the side. Yeah, I don't get it. I don't. I I'm, don't get it. I don't either. And I'm not sure what's happening. And there needs to be some restructuring. I think we were all told that we don't need to hire a new Dan DiDio. We've got the guy. We've got Jim Lee, and we've got Scott Snyder, and we. May or may not still have Jeff Johns. It's hard to know because he's doing TV <laughs> stuff. And <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It just feels like no one's in charge. Or maybe like Jim Lee's too nice of a guy to be in charge or something. I don't know. You know, like that manager yeah, that I, you had at the job that was a great guy, but like wanted to Jeff, be everybody's friend. Yeah, couldn't put the hammer down when he needed to, you know. Yeah. <laughs> And then just like nothing got done. Right. Exactly. Nothing got done because everybody took advantage of it. Yeah. This is totally nuts. And I, I, I'm not saying, God damn it. I need that Batman Catwoman marriage story. And you, I've been waiting for it, but you told me it was coming. You told us this was a thing. You made it a thing, whether we liked it or not. And we all read that entire Batman run and went, God damn it. Parts of this are good. And the rest of it is like, what in the fuck is even going on? (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a real puzzler. I, I right. don't know what's going on over there, this and is, I don't think they do either. This is WWE creative. We're like, oh, yeah, that was last week. This week, none of that's happening. Don't worry about sure, it. Sure, yeah, right. From the Iron Man desk, Halt and Catch Fire co-creator, writer Christopher Cantwell is relaunching Marvel Comics' Iron Man ongoing title with artist Cafu. 
It's all caps. We still don't even know if Capu's a person. Featuring a brand new... I think new, it's an algorithm. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> Featuring a brand new armor design by none other than Alex Ross. This is coming right after the end of Iron Man 2020. That was the big crossover saga overseen by Dan Slott, who has just announced that he was leaving. It brings Tony Stark back to his roots as an inventor, getting hands-on with new tech and setting aside some of the most advanced aspects of his previous Iron Man suits. I think what they're doing here, and they need to do it, Dan Slott went a little too bonkers with this 2020 thing. Um, we, we, you know, the Iron Man 2020 thing, that was one thing. But I, the problem with Iron Man, has, for me, has always been every time a new writer takes over, they have to somehow make Iron Man more advanced. Right. And I, and I think it started, it started with Warren Ellis. Yeah. When they did extremists and it's like, oh yeah, it's in his blood now. Right. The armor's in his blood. And then the next thing you know, everything was nanotechnology and yeah. what, and like. Every time a new creative team comes on Iron Man, the entire Marvel universe changes basically. And yeah, leaps and, like 5,000 years further into the future. <laughs> it's right. Not, it's not even like, there's gotta oh, be yeah. a point where like, I cannot, I cannot conceive imaginatively of something more advanced than the last thing we did. Right. I mean, that's just it. It's not like they're moving to a point where like, oh, we all watch 8K TVs now. No, it's <laughs> right. Like yeah, TV yeah. is beamed directly <laughs> into your brain via psychic ta- satellites that are bonded by robot snakes. You know, like, what are we doing? <laughs> this is crazy. So uh, they released a trailer like, like they do, which I think is stupid. But I watched the trailer. I kind of love them. And it was actually pretty cool because it was it like it really reminded me of like Bob Layton, Iron Man. Yeah, it's got a ton of like classic villains in it. Though he fights the fucking unicorn in the first issue. Love it. When was the last time you saw the unicorn? Uh, the Armor Wars, maybe. <laughs> Armor maybe, Wars yeah, one, right? I think. <laughs> so like it, it's it shows him opening the briefcase, and in the briefcase are like the things he puts on his ankles and wrists. Right. And and then it's like. Click, 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 click. And it was like, yes, suitcase armor. It's actual metal. He holds it in a box. He puts it on like pants. Well, (laughs) I was just like, yes, this is Iron Man. And the best part of Iron Man is not necessarily that he has a super sexy future suit. It's that he wears a suit of armor and he fights other guys in armor. You know what I mean? And it looks like Cantwell understands that. Cantwell's also a great writer, by the way. Oh, yeah. It looks definitely. like he understands that, and he's just going to take us back to what we all love because Iron Man has gotten so wackadoo and out of control that it's hard to even keep track of who the character is. And I don't mean, yeah. like, I forget that it's Tony Stark. It's like, I don't recognize this Tony Stark at all. And don't at me. I realize it's Arno Stark right now. But that's even part of the problem. That's dumb. I don't need Tony. Well, I mean, Tony's brother. Tony's in it too. I know that we haven't really been following <laughs> yeah. Iron Man 2020, but uh, so here's the solicit for it. Tony is putting away his high tech toys and high profile image so he can get his hands dirty again. But can he really lay that Stark sized ego down? Life isn't always that simple. Something that old friends and frustrating new foes are quick to point out. If you strip a billionaire down to his bolts, does he run solid? Or just overheat. That's a motorhead talk there. I dig it. Yeah, I mean, it also doesn't really say much. But No. <laughs> yeah, I like, 
they, they show the Alex Ross cover and the new armor is cool. And he is fighting like all of his classic weirdo villains love it. on, on a cover. I, I like, love it. This sounds fun. This sounds fun to me. I'm excited. For it. Breaking news from the BM Bendis desk. Bendis has plans to leave Superman eventually. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Michael Bendis has announced that he is wrapping up his run on DC's Superman title. He was on the podcast off panel uh, where he said that he was reflecting on the run and that he was heading towards the end of it. Uh, he's super grateful, blah, blah, blah. He has not specified, however, when the run will end or if there will be any like special storylines associated with it. Obviously he's been writing both action comics and Superman since April, 2018 uh, in the last couple of years, he's introduced a bunch of new villains. He revealed a secret identity to the world, brought back the red trunks. Thank you very much. And we've seen several successful spinoffs like Legion of Superheroes, Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, uh, the whole event Leviathan thing, which is going on. Uh, he also didn't say whether or not he was also leaving Action Comics. I would assume that's what this means, though. You don't say... I'm leaving Superman, but staying on action. That, I mean, come on. He's telling one so, story. It's going to run through both comics. No way. Yeah. So in 2017, he signed a quote unquote, multi-year, multi-faceted exclusive deal with DC. Uh, and his Superman work for the most part has been the bulk of it. Uh, so it's, we're entering the third year of that run and we don't know any of the new projects he has planned. We don't know how long the, the deal lasts for, but when he was asked about what he said on Twitter, Bendis told uh, the retailer Jetpack Comics, it's so far away. It's kind of not, it's kind of a non-headline. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> so he went online and told everybody he was getting ready to leave Superman and then said, ah, but yeah, not like for a long time. But this is also Brian Michael Bendis we're talking about. And you know this guy. He's the kind of guy that definitely writes probably a year to two years out. Yeah, I, I think that he's a multi-year planner. You know, I think he's he had this whole arc with the identity mapped out. And uh, it, it it's not surprising to me that even if he's making plans for what comes next, that he already has that end game for his Superman run already worked up. You know oh, what I yeah, mean? I'm sure. I'm sure he does. And I don't know. I have very much enjoyed Bendis' Superman. There is a very vocal group of jerks that also seem to align with Comicsgate that hate Bendis and hate his Superman that are thrilled about this. Which I don't get. I don't get it. I don't get, don't get that at all. I, I think you're they're at a point now where it's like I dislike you personally, so I'm going to force myself to not admit that this is good. <laughs> you know what I mean? At that point, because I just, yeah. I don't think there's an argument that Superman is bad right now. It's better than it has probably been in 20 years. I think this is kind of fake news in the sense that Bendis is going to be here for at least another two years. I think he's just talking future here. Like he's got a long game idea and in his head, he's coming to the end of that. He probably hasn't written a lot of it. I don't think this is real news. It's just weird. It's a. It was just a weird thing for him to like come out and announce, you know. Right in a weird but, place too, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Just nonchalantly mention that. But then again, there is no editorial right now running DC, so maybe no <laughs> one is telling anyone what they can and can't say, what they shouldn't yeah, shouldn't yeah. do. You, you know? know, it's the wild west over there. There's things are on fire, ceiling tiles are hanging. You know, <laughs> it's fucking crazy. <laughs> 
that is your nerd news for the week, but we need to know what you nerds think too. Now, it is almost time to open the phone lines and we want to talk to you guys. And I'll reset that in a minute here. But before we do, Joe Patrick needs to reset the question of the week. This week's question was submitted by Jimmy Randall via the THN forums. What is the most meaningful life-altering scene in a comic for you? To clarify, what scene or line or moment in a comic made you go, I'll be damned. What I just experienced while reading a comic book was so poignant and deeply notable that I'm going to let it guide my life a little bit from now on. In short, what was a moment from a comic that stuck with you so much it helped you somewhat grow as a human being? Somewhat grow. Not completely grow. Yeah, you know, we're not talking anything drastic. Yeah, 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 yeah. So let's do it. Let's get these phone lines open. It's like you read a, you read a, you read a really good Swamp Thing run and decided to re- start recycling. You know, <laughs> yeah, <sort> totally. <laughs> the phone lines are open. You can call us at 402-819-4894. We need to talk to you or we don't have a show, which is also fine because, like, you know, I, I'm a little hungry. I could do an early lunch today. Whatever. You guys going, oh, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for calling THN Cover to Cover. Caller, who this? JD got a catch. JD, how are you, baby? Good. What are we rapping about today? Answer of the week. Answer of the week. Hit us. I hope I don't bring people down too much because. Oh, here we this, go. Always this, with this guy. The answer, <laughs> the answer popped right to my head because uh, I actually posted the answer on my Facebook profile about two weeks ago before I even knew the question. Okay. <laughs> because I updated my profile picture and my banner photo. And then I posted this page uh, the weekend of the protests. Okay. Uh, because mine is uh, page 66 from volume one of Transmetropolitan. All right. You're going to have to refresh my memory. The, that's the uh, fuck you. If anyone in this shithole city gave two tugs of a dead dog's cock about the truth, this wouldn't be happening. <laughs> I wouldn't be seeing a transient woman with blood on her face huddled in a porn store doorway. I wouldn't be looking down at a dead boy 13 apiece a day draped over the hood of a police wagon. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's powerful stuff. That tracks, um, definitely. And like, yeah, how how fitting still. I know. Yeah. What, like I mean, it's years like later? It's a show of power. How dare anyone ignore the authority of civics of civic center? You know, let's go and stomp on children. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> That's Man, a, yeah, that, it's a little too poignant. You're not bringing anybody down. It's not like that. It's a little too poignant. But Warren Ellis is really good at this stuff. That's what he does. Well, yeah, and, that, and that's kind of my point. And, and, and that's that thing of I mean, I know it's over the top and that's what Warren Ellis does. But the one thing I've always said about Warren Ellis characters and the biggest thing that appeals to me is that through all of his characters, Spider, Elijah, Jenny Sparks, they are all what I call optimists through outrage. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like they believe in a better world because we just don't have any other fucking choice. Right. <laughs> right. And they, and they're also all willing to be the bad guy to make a better world for everyone else. Yeah, that's true. That's like, especially like a spider Jerusalem is an excellent. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the best well, that, way I to mean, describe that's the, that. That's character. the whole mandate of the authority. It's like, right, right. We're going to force this world into something better, whether you like it or not. Well, and it was like, it started in Stormwatch where they were just like, okay, we're bad guys. 
and we get it. And then the authority was like, no, I think we're good guys. And we just have to show these people we're the good guys deal with it. And and, yeah. Yeah. And oh man, he's always been so good. He's always been so good. Yeah. And Elijah Snow is the same way, you know, definitely. He he was, you know, even all the way to the point that he was willing to sacrifice himself and his own memories to protect his team and to keep things going. Yeah, man, that's a really solid one. Look at that. We all just grew a little bit right there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and then if I could take a quick second, uh, to, uh, make a plug. Yeah. That's all right. Please. Uh, I've, Finally started my own podcast. Hey, really? Nice. And and since I know we don't recognize other comic book podcasts, I don't. It's not a comic book podcast, right? This is your <laughs> this is your bowel movement diary that you were talking about doing. Yes, exactly. Okay. No, uh, <laughs> kind of. Uh, no, this is kind this of. is my uh, podcast about writers. Oh, about nice. Writers. It's called Having What's Written. It called? It's uh, the premise of it is based on the famous Dorothy Parker quote, which is "I hate writing, but I love having written." And so I just interview writers that I know and basically use that quote as the start of a conversation about their style of writing. Like, which are you? Do you love writing or do you just love having written? What kind of writer are you? How do you write? What's your routine? What's your, you know, all of that. And then we get into, you know, other stuff and we tangent off. My first episode was an hour and 15. So nice. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it happens. We've had to edit ourselves grossly, too. That's why we have two shows now. <laughs> exactly. And uh, yeah, can you believe episode, we used to do this in a half an hour? I know. <laughs> uh, I record my next episode on Wednesday. I'm talking to uh, Josh Howell, so of yes, Fierce Literature. Josh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that and is awesome. First episode was with a great writer named March McCarran. Okay, where do we find it? Where do you go to find this crap? Not that it's crap. Uh, it's on Spotify. It's on, it's on Spotify, Google Podcasts. I, I'm recording it through Anchor. So you can find it on anchor dot slash having written. Nice. All right. So well, wherever wherever fine podcasts are sold. There you go. Pretty much, except for iTunes. Except for iTunes. <laughs> uh, well, well yeah. you know, you'll get there. Yeah. Someday. iTunes historically the least reliable outlet for <laughs> for guys like us. JD, good to talk to you. Congratulations on the new show. I look forward to hearing it. And uh, next yeah, week, nice work, when you call in, we'll critique your editing. We'll critique the way you talk. We'll just grill you. We'll cut oh, you yeah. to pieces. Sound oh, good? Yeah, the editing's horrible. <laughs> sure, sounds good. <laughs> All right, Woo-hoo. man. Nice to talk to you. All right, talk See to you later, guys. 402-819-4894. We are remembering Denny O'Neill and talking about our favorite bat stuff or any stuff that he did. Uh, Joe brought it up earlier. My favorite thing that Denny O'Neill added to Batman's origin was richard dragon and richard dragon was basically like one of his kung fu teachers that was like this super chill zen master total badass oh i love that character so much thank you for calling thn cover to cover caller who this it's brian domingos good morning brian domingos how are you sir Hello, brian good morning good morning guys um i got a i got a lot of stuff so i'm gonna go quick do it um the um I'm, I was more surprised. I was kind of surprised at how how devastating the, the Denny O'Neill news was, um, because I, he, you know, he wrote things a lot longer ago than I was even born. But um, you know, he had such a 
his, you know, his thumb or finger or whatever was uh, handled so many of the things that I loved when I was in my teenage years and twenties. And, um, you know, he oversaw like the Greg Rucka era and all that. Um, and like sort of Asriel is a weird book, but it's gorgeous. And like, Oh, it's wonderful. Batman talking with, with that font, you know, like the, the lettering of like the box, like that's like the Batman voice for me. Totally. I don't know why, but it's just like that, like, it's even like more severe than like the Kevin Conroy. It's just like this like booming kind of he, you know, and, and I realized as I was thinking about it, like not even there's very few runs of Batman that have had that kind of aggression to it, but he just seems like he is under, he's got it under control. Yeah. He just, he knows what he's doing. He's easy. And um, yeah, like Danny O'Neill nailed it. And um, I mean, and the question and green, you know, green lantern and green arrow and all that stuff. Like yeah, he just was yeah, the so question. huge in it. Um, and it's sad to see that he's gone. Yeah. I forgot about his question, man. It's so good. It is so good. Now the good news is Danny O'Neill died of old, you know, natural causes at age 81. That's the way to go. That's very sweet. Right. And I'm glad. Yeah. It's one of, it's one of those, it's, it's one of those things of like, you know, it's sad, but it's, yeah, he's not, you know, I think I saw something about, um, Mark Grunewald was like 45 and young dude people with that mustache and that era all look like 55 years old. Well, that was the time though. (laughs) Look at movies back then. It's crazy how like old people looked. (laughs) I, I, I still, to this day, I am, I am going to be 42 years old in a couple months. And I still look back at people that I assumed were so much older than me. And I am older than they were then. Yeah. It's, it's just so bizarre. It's that Wilford Brimley syndrome where we like look back the, and we're br- like the Brimley cocoon line. Yeah. <laughs> we look back and we're like, yeah, Wilford Brimley was like 34 years old in cocoon or something. I'm not. I mean, that's not his he number. Was, I think he was. I think he was. <laughs> he was like 46 or something like that. He wasn't he was, that old. He was 40. He, he, I think he was he, 49 maybe. It's, I, I have the I follow that account and I have the date. I put it in my Google calendar like, like this is the day. It's like because it was a celebrity who has the same birthday as me, so it's like eleven years away at this date. <laughs> yeah, there, there was the thing when the last uh, Mission Impossible came out, where they were like, "Tom Cruise is as old now as Wilford Brimley was when he made Cocoon, <laughs> making Mission Impossible." And then the next tweet under that was Wilford Brimley, and it just said, "Fuck you." <laughs> it's, it's great. <laughs> like I know in my I know in my head that that Wilford Brimley account is not really him, but I really want it to be. Him. It really is him. That is Wilford Brimley on Twitter. It's really him. He's got the check no, mark and no, everything. Come on, yeah, dude, that is Wilford Brimley. He is that funny. He's just like chill, funny guy. Okay, next time Wilford Brimley cast, we'll discuss this more. Let's go back to comic yeah. book bullshit, Brian. Uh, he was so he was the, fifty. Um, uh, so just to clarify, geez. Wilford Brimley was eighteen thousand five hundred and thirty days old, <laughs> which is the joke on the Twitter account, <laughs> right. uh, which translates to fifty point seven years old. So he was almost fifty one. Yes. Okay, right. Yeah, that that's yeah. So I, I have that date in my calendar. I thought it was like, well, today's. It's a good thing I saw this today. Um, I did coming up June twenty first. About, uh, ben, about uh, Bendis leaving um, Superman, and I think it's. It's so telling and about how, how gross the, the news industry is. And I say, I don't know if you could see the quotes, um, that newsarama, I mean, a uh, game radar, um, that they, um, that they listened to, they took a clickbait story out of a Patreon exclusive 
interview oh, and yeah. posted it on their garbage website. Like it's that is inaccurate. And and so the the interviewer and Bendis are like, no, 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 no. That's not what it says. Right. Like, of course, he's going to leave at some point because, you know, as you said, he will die at some point. Yeah. Right? Bad news. I mean, Everybody dies. Like, <laughs> it's not like he's Except done for Tom Cruise. It's like it's years away. It's, it's probably a year or more and that'll be three years and that's plenty. And, um, I don't know. It's just, it was, it's so awful. And that website is so bad. And, um, it's just, it's constantly disappointing that like some, like I'll say Chris Aaron still works there because he used to be a guy that was like somewhat respectable and that it, all he does is like repost press releases and oh, yeah. chop up one paragraph into three different articles. Like it's worse. It's the worst art thing out. It's worse than CBR. This That's point. what they all do now. That's what oh, they all and like, do. I, and I love poking them I, on Twitter every time they post this shit. I'm just like, I really? thought CBR was, <laughs> I thought CBR was bad and they are bad. But since Newsarama got taken over by Games Radar, it is it is useless yeah. as a resource. It's garbage. I mean, they've yeah. got a bunch of kids reposting tweets, basically. And like, oh, man, the five things that you didn't know about Nightcrawler and five that you did. Fuck off. Like, this is not news. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Those I mean, those are whatever. Like, that's that's fluff, you know, like it's right. garbage. But like there was the thing about um James Tynan said the thing about Batman Catwoman is going to like not in continuity. And he said, <laughs> right. so, the, so they have an interview that he says that in there, in the interview, that sentence is a link to their other story. That is basically that one paragraph split up into three paragraphs with a bunch of fluff around it. Yeah. Like, they, right. They, like they, they specifically made, and I know it's all about clicks. Like I'm not naive, but it's like, it's so irritating that like that is their, that's just what they do. Right. It's, it's, like, it's yeah, laughably we're gonna, stupid. We're, we're gonna, we, rather than post pointing to like a full article that like, like make that a pull quote. That's what you, they used to do, right? Like you'd have an interview and you'd have a pull quote in the middle and it's like something people might want to see, like a, like a highlighted important thing. But instead they turn it right. into some garbage, other clickable, awful thing and they're gross. And it's, it's really like, it's, I have to stop myself from like, typing in like any any ws like in my browser and then just like go because i used to go there you know once a day and see what was going on and now like i have to stop doing that because it's they're such so terrible and it's gross um, yeah it's a shame uh so, so you know long story short www.comicsbeat.com <laughs> uh, it really is still out there I doing know. the good work and they're like the last Really, the last of the good comics journalism out there. It's it's really hard because a lot and I like I go there and sometimes I'm just like it is just a, and it's they don't add like the spin to the press releases like they do the same thing. But sometimes it's only press releases and it's like one day like it's a slow news day and I'm just like scrolling past stuff that I don't care about. I'm yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, OK. Like I'd rather them not. I know they have to post it like, I, you know, again, I know how it works, but it's like this is really sad. Like. Um, you know, and I mean, Heidi McDonald's been around for decades and she knows what she's doing, but it's just like, yeah. ugh, like it's gross. Like, it's just, I don't know. Like I, I love bleeding cool. Cause it's so trashy <laughs> and, and that's why I love it. It's just so much fun. And Rich Johnston is the king of nothing posts. Oh yeah. But I have actually had moments over the last couple of weeks since the transition where I was like, I can't believe bleeding cool was a more reliable 
a source for this information <laughs> than Newsarama. Oh, was. absolutely. Because Newsarama is literally just retweeting shit. And, and I'm looking at their Twitter feed right now and it's just garbage. It's absolute garbage. And even the way that they like put up their their uh, headlines, it's just such clickbait. Step Jan Sedgwick announces DC's exit for creator-owned comics. What? is he leaving is dc quitting creator owned comics like what's going on here and he's just like yeah uh my series ended so i'm gonna go do something else that's the story (laughs) thanks guys all right (laughs) brian what else you got we kind of we kind of all right so yeah i'll i'll trash that stuff every day um i'll call it at a different time and do that the um so the question of the week um for this week, and I, I have one for last week real quick, but last week or this week is the, um, I talked about it a while ago. Um, I read um, Asaf um, um, Hanuka's um, The Realist. It's a, a comic strip he does. Um, he's yes. the twin brother of Tomer Hanuka, um, and they are unbelievably talented cartoonists, and they're Israeli, and, and they've got this really unique point of view, but The Realist is about him as a, um, as a dad and dealing with... Um, a little bit of mental issue, you know, just sort of like mental issues in, in, in the home life and work and the struggle and the marriage and, and the kids. And it's, it's one of those things, like I read it and I was like, this feels like he looked inside my brain and wrote it. Like not all of them, but some of them specifically, like just his way of, and he can do it just with pictures, like the, um, the, the, the force and the pressure on, on being, you know, a husband and a father and, and a, an employee and all these things. And he's just like, it's if somebody's out out there is looking for something to kind of help them know that they're not alone. It's it's a I think it's a really important um, piece, and I and he's just constantly like amazing to me. That is awesome. Yeah, um, we reviewed the Realist on the show. Uh, we did it for take a look. It's in a book one time uh, some years ago, and it's phenomenal. He he is an incredible talent, and you're totally right. He has this way of getting to the heart of those sorts of issues and feelings. And, you know, like you said, it's not, you know, it's, yeah, there's a, there's, you know, a mental, some mental issue component, but it's really more like balancing this life. Um, And yeah, it was an incredible read and he's still out there putting out great work. And I'm, I definitely agree and recommend the realist any chance i get i gotta check that out yeah i've definitely heard that's on a lot of short lists i definitely we re- check Matt, it out. we read it you and i we read it we did we reviewed it on the show oh god the, sorry <laughs> i was looking go, something you know up what and, it'll be it'll be new to you go look at it yeah again. i might have to um, revisit yeah, there you go we read there a lot go. of shit on this show that i don't remember joe <laughs> that that's a fair point yeah. yes that's a fair point um so one more thing for for last week because again I, I never usually kind of dig into the take this character and put it into this universe thing because I never think of anything. But um, I was thinking about this idea of a Marvel crossover um, called Event Scorpio because they copy everything DC does and vice versa. Sure. So um, it's where all like Alpha Flight and S.W.O.R.D. and all these different um, Department H, they start getting destroyed. You know, all these other clandestine organizations and, and, and killed and, and maimed and all these things and no one knows what's going on. And um, there is a some sort of hostile takeover happening and they don't know why. And then it's on the the deck of the, of the final helicarrier and it's Nick Fury Jr. or Nick Fury, if you want. Um, and he's just like fighting to the death and, and he doesn't know what's happening. And a boom tomb opens up 
and out walks Amanda Waller. <laughs> because they don't they don't have anyone like her you know they don't yeah. have a like a like because it's such a neutered like world like something that started so strongly with shield and nick fury and serenko and, and kirby like they it just kind of exists in the background well, I, even think they, the, I mean they tried to kind of do her know, with they, maria hill right a little bit yeah but they, they just didn't yeah, go I far mean, enough with Marvel's never had anybody like Amanda Waller. No, 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 no. Yeah. yeah. That kind of scheming. So I was like, yeah, yeah. I, th- I thought who could be the biggest disruptor? And I was like, she would just kind of like waltz through a boom tube, like in her high heels and her like, you know, her, I don't know, Hillary Clinton, you know, pantsuit. Right. And, um, and just be like, <laughs> this is my, this is all mine now. Yeah. Fury like, Waller. Nice to and meet they, you. You're fired. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. You know, like it, event yeah. Scorpio. All right, Brian, I got a bunch of people trying to call in, so I got to cut you off, man. It's good it's to real, talk to it's you. It's a real identity Scorpio. disc situation you've concocted here, Brian. <laughs> we'll talk. Yes, that's why. That's why I had to call after two weeks. All right, thanks, guys. Have good to talk to you, Brian. See you, buddy. Okay, sorry about that, guys. 402-819-4894. Phone lines are open. I do like that. I event. legit would read the hell out of that comic oh, book. Yeah, event Scorpio. That sounds totally <laughs> kick-ass. <laughs> And what a fun way to do a Marvel DC crossover, too. Instead of, like, oh, gigantic, yeah. like, the Avengers fight the JLA and the moon is in the balance. or I mean, Whatever. Who cares? The moon <laughs> is the villain. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Thank you for calling THN Cover to Cover. Caller, who this? Hey, it's Jason Sachs. Good morning, Jason Sachs. I'm Good glad morning. you called. Denny O'Neill is dead. I know. I'm so sad to see that. Uh, I don't know if you guys have been on the uh, DC Universe app. They have three featured episodes of uh, Denny O'Neill talking. There's about 15 minutes of him talking about his time on Batman um, and killing Jason Todd. It's really wonderful. It's just like, I got to see that. It touched my heart this morning. I've got to see that. I did not know. Yeah, I haven't been on since the last episode of Stargirl came out, so I'll definitely check that out. Yeah, it's it was really moving to see him talking right to the camera with his passion about the work he's done for comics. And then just by dumb coincidence, um, I was the next thing that played after I watched those three episodes was um, Greg, Greg Rucka and Marv Wolfman um, having a little conversation in a comic shop. And one of the first things Rucka talks about is his love for Danny O'Neill's question comics. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, you could definitely so, yeah, tell that uh, he was a huge inspiration to Rucka for that stuff. Oh, most definitely. I mean, O'Neill's yeah. another one of those guys where, like, he's a creator's creator. All the all these guys that in the business now will look back and they'll point and say, oh, yeah, Denny O'Neill. He's the reason I wrote this. He's the reason I came up with this idea. He's the reason I did this in my Batman run or whatever. Like, this is a massive loss. Massive loss. We, he talks about how he kind of inadvertently created the new Batman when he did, when he wrote the secret of the waiting graves, and I love how the way he tells the story. You, you want if I like a little spoiler for the video? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Um, so Anil says he goes into uh, the office of uh, Julius Schwartz, who was the editor at the time, and Julius Schwartz is always. Sorry, go ahead. I don't mean to speak over you. <laughs> no, no, no. That was actually no. The feed was breaking up. No one was talking over you. Go ahead. <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah. I just heard this feedback. Uh, so he goes into the office of Julia Schwartz, who's a completely buttoned-down guy, always wore a suit and a white shirt and everything every day. Um, this is 1970, so when Neil comes in in tie-dye shirts and shaggy clothes, and he's like, I want to write a Batman story, and it's going to be about uh, this 
this mystery adventure kind of thing. It's not going to be a, a cheesy Batman tale. It's going to be, you know, weird and scary. And and uh, and Schwartz says, sure, go ahead, why not? And it turns out that this was like the book that revolutionized Batman. It gave us the 1970s version of Batman, moved him out of the camp era. That is and awesome. so it was, as O'Neill says, it's just like accidental. Yeah. I mean, and you that's could, great. It, I think like Batman has evolved like that through several creators too, where it's just like, all right, give this kid mm-hmm. a shot. Let's see what happens. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, that's selling pretty well. And people are glomming onto this. And then all of a sudden, bam, Batman's completely different. <laughs> you know, forever, <laughs> forever changed for the better. Don't get me wrong. And then, yeah, you know, I mean, I think there was definitely a place for that camp era. And I still have, you know, a fondness for it. But, Really, the Denny O'Neill, the Dark Knight detective Batman from that era, 70s and 80s, you know, where he wasn't like this grim nightmare throwing actual knives into people's faces. Right. Like, remember mm-hmm. when the Batarang was an actual boomerang? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it was Instead of just like boomerang. really sharp, tiny bats. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, like that's like for me when I think of Batman, like that's my Batman. That Dick Dillon, Justice League, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, yeah, Neil Adams, Batman. Uh, A lot of that stuff's yeah. still in print too. Go pick that shit up, especially like the old oh, Neil yeah. Adams stuff. Man, it is amazing, amazing. I I know that DC's put out a they've they've done those. Um, Legends of the Dark Knight hardcovers yeah. that focus on creator runs. Uh, and I'm sure there must be one for Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams. Oh, I guarantee it. And I hate that it takes like somebody dying before I'm like, I should pick those up. Damn it. <laughs> that sucks. That's what that, Big Mike would do. That's on me. A, yeah. a, that's what Big Mike would do. A singer would die and he'd suddenly have to go have the box set. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it was like this. <laughs> well, it's true, right? Because like, think about it. after Prince died or David Bowie died, you had to have everything by him. Yeah. Yeah, it is true. It's it true. Is true. We're all morbid collectors at some point. What's your favorite Denny O'Neill, if you had to pick one? Just off the top of your head, Jason. The question. Yeah. The f- the first dozen issues of the question especially are just spectacular. And, like, the question number one um, is just a perfect character arc, and it ends with the, in an amazing cliffhanger. Yeah, it really does. It's a fantastic book. That's one of those, like, titles I will forever have. I'm never going to get rid of that. Just because I remember not reading at the time I was only reading Marvel comics. And so only a few DC things would come into my radar. And I can't even remember who threw that at me at the time. But I was just like, wow, are all DC comics like this? And he was like, no, this is very rare. <laughs> <laughs> so at the time, DC was not great. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, DC was not great at that time, unfortunately. <laughs> Jason... Uh, Oh, sorry. Well, now hold on, Jason. We kind of roped you into this Denny O'Neill talk. Was there anything else you wanted to wrap up about today? You did, you did this last week too. I love it. No, uh, <laughs> I was going. I was gonna call with my choice for the question of the week, which oh, you're also gonna love. Us. Yeah, yeah, hit us. Uh, so the character who uh, the comic that really kind of influenced the way I think about the world was Starman. Yeah. Because uh, if you think about Jack Knight at the beginning of his character arc, he's this arrogant, obnoxious dude who's just a collector, doesn't really care much about his family, disregards his dad, doesn't even think anything of his dad. And by the end of the story, he's kind of grown a lot. He's come to appreciate everything his family's gone through. He's become a dad himself. His whole life has changed. 
as we read about the character. And at the same time, my whole life was changing too. I was, I was becoming a dad and taking on more responsibility and really realizing about my place in the real world and, you know, forgiving my parents for all their sins or whatever. And this is the point where um, your old man had just handed you the mantle of like a su- his old superhero like <laughs> thing too. And that was really tough for you, as I recall. It was. It was. <laughs> if you ever had one of those cosmic staffs, the thing that someone tells you is it vibrates like crazy in your arms. So for three days afterwards, you, your arms just can't, yeah. can't write or anything. And those pants look like they really hugged too. You know, I mean, whew, little snow. I look good in those pants. <laughs> I look so good in those pants in the 90s. That's such a good answer. Like, you know, I get Matt makes fun of me for bringing it up all, constantly, but like Starman really is just an, an enormously influential oh, yeah. run of comic books. And it's it stands up there with, you know, something like, you know, J.D. was talking about Transmet and, and the lessons taught there. And, uh, you know, I would say Preacher probably has a, a lot of that. Definitely. Um, definitely. But like those but conversations, yeah, like the conversations with David issues mm-hmm. where he, he talks yeah, to yes. his dead brother like he's visited by the ghost of his yeah, dead brother I talk with david oh my god uh, those are so amazing and his brother's still wearing the dumb costume you know like he's he's in heaven with the old school Starman costume on with the fin on his head and shit but oh they're so good oh just just like yeah, as an examination of like wrote... sorry go ahead go ahead i'm sorry no no go ahead I was going to say, did you notice James Robinson wrote Stargirl this week? Yeah, saw that. Awesome. He's been producing it, and he now he's writing it. So I'm glad he's working. That's excellent because he hasn't been doing much comic stuff in a long time. Um, I don't know how I feel about the Junior JSA. <laughs> I'm just going to come out and say it. <laughs> like, I don't know if I need yeah. a little JSA running around, but I mean, we'll see. It's still a fun yeah, show. Know, it, I like it. So like the the old school DC fan in me, when I, when they were like, rattling off character names it's like beth chapel yolanda uh yolanda what's her name yolanda i can't something? remember and yakim um, montez yeah so they yeah. mentioned uh, they mentioned uh they mentioned um jakeem yeah and i'm like holy shit uh-huh. they're gonna do jj thunder <laughs> they totally are she's got the pen they're gonna do it yeah and, like and i'm like they're going to do the Infinity Inc. version of these JSA characters. Pretty and much. We're gonna we're gonna get if I don't see Thunderbolt on screen, I will be very disappointed. They've already hinted at it. It's coming. We're gonna have a pink Thunderbolt and they're gonna have like a guest comedian do his voice. You watch. It's coming. Yeah. Oh, it's in the awesome. I, I really love it. Oh yeah. Jason, good to talk to you. I love that we rope you into yeah. uh some historical work each week and i <laughs> full-on admit we are baiting you every week we're baiting you so <laughs> i'll take that bait you guys have a great weekend all right you too brother you too jason 402-819-4894 i do i am still enjoying star girl i think yeah. it is a lot of fun it, it's complete cheese and i can turn my brain off and just and enjoy her name it. her name is yolanda montez uh but yeah, so uh, I saw those, I, I heard those character names and I immediately knew what direction the show was going in because I know those names from comics. Uh, like the, the sulky kid is Rick Tyler. Yeah. Uh, so he, he's Rex Tyler's son and I'm waiting for that shoe to drop. Um, yeah. We're, we're getting the junior just, JSA. 
I, I love, but I love how they're just going for it. They're yeah. not like trying to like, they're not trying to reel it up. You know, they're not trying to like make things fit into reality. They're just like, no, they're comic book superheroes. Well, we've already, I mean, if you're turning on these shows now to see faithful adaptations of DC comics, you're doing it wrong. They've already showed us, you know, look, we, we're building our own universe. This is how it goes. Deal with it and enjoy it or don't. Some of it's great. Some of it sucks. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for calling THN cover to cover caller. Who dis? Hey, it's Michael Severe. How you guys doing? Michael Severe? Don't you have a job, sir? Who? who? Never Saturday. heard of you. There's no sports. What am I going to do? <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> what does a sportscaster do when there's no sports? He posts uh, stuff about, about food. Talk about r- racial inqu- inequality. Okay. Um, uh, the N-word used throughout much of conversation. Um, I mean, basically life. That's yeah. what we talk about. Fair enough. Fair enough. We don't do <laughs> he that talks here. talks a lot about food online. We talk about bullshit to distract people here because the world is so awful. So, like, it's just all garbage here, I'm afraid. Yeah, and I, I, I appreciate what you guys are doing. I've, uh, I'll admit you guys were my... You're my sixth podcast that I would listen to during the week. You're now my second podcast because the sports podcasts have kind of been eliminated. Well, um, and having you guys there, it's been pretty cool. Well, when sports come back, we're screwed again. So we're going to enjoy it while we can. What do you want to wrap about today, though, Michael? Well, I, I called because you guys were talking about Stargirl. And as a parent, you know, I, I got an 11 and a 14-year-old. And there's not a lot of shows you can sit down and watch with your kids anymore yeah. i mean some of the stuff we like to we, we watch space force together we kind of all laugh at that yeah. but there's not a lot of shows out there stargirl is almost perfect because it references old stuff you know that maybe they heard before because they watched a lot of the old batman and with batman there was some of those you know jay the justice society stuff uh reference so they they kind of get it and just to sit down with an 11 to 14 or i think 8 through, through 18 could enjoy that and so i'm, I'm glad the cw did this show um, some of the other shows have gotten kind of old flash has gotten kind of into the weeds, but I think this new star girl is fun and to have something to watch your kids is awesome. I think CW does a great job with these DC shows. I didn't even think about that, sure. but you're a hundred percent, right? hundred percent, right? It is totally family friendly. I mean, there's some scary stuff. People die, yeah. but yeah, there isn't yeah. like blood and guts or anything. And like, I, I would even argue like Stargirl wears a lot of belly shirts, but she's not like showing anything off or hanging yeah. out or anything. They're not sexing her up too much. Like Riverdale yeah, is it's not like she's running around wearing hot pants or anything. Right. She's wearing, you know, like a, like a workout outfit kind of. Yeah. Like Riverdale is full on. Like, look at these sexy teenagers, you know, I have to stop and remind myself that everybody involved in Riverdale is actually a legal adult. Yeah. Because yeah, it's yeah. like because oh, it gets kind of gross. Like oh look, the sixteen-year-old is crawling out of the bath now and putting on her lingerie. Like what are we doing? This is <laughs> good lord. But you know what? That has always been there. There has yeah. always been that sort of weird sexual undertone to Archie comics. Even when you think it's not there, it's there. Oh, without a doubt. Without that implied like weird. wink, wink, haha. It, it wasn't weird. It wasn't weird. It was awesome. We all had our conversations about who'd you like more? Is it Becky or Veronica? Were you a brunette or a blonde guy? This that started when you were like eleven. Yeah, I mean, totally. That was, that was a part Sorry. of your life as a kid. Uh, but Team you mentioned Betty forever. Death, and I don't want to give spoilers, but that that was shocking. Um, I did not see that coming at all. And then there's a second death, like less than seven minutes later, and we're both like, they just they just killed two people off. Um, but still, it wasn't it wasn't you know they didn't show the actual thing happen. 
the first time. So I think that was good. But it, it is a it is a perfect show if you've got kids and you want to sit down and watch something without any cursing, really. Yeah. There's not a lot of sex stuff in it and and it's funny. A lot of the it stuff is. is how do you go out and get a guy like Luke Wilson who's who's a big he's a real actor. I mean this guy can make movies and he's making this T V show, which I think is really cool. Okay, we were discussing that. Luke Wilson. Is he still star power? Like the dude hasn't had a major role for what, 15 years? I mean, like, well, no, really? come on, that's not no, accurate. What's his last that's major Hollywood true. role? What, 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 what that's was it? Not, that's I'm not, looking at like the Royal Tannenbaums? No, I, <laughs> I, I just remember seeing him in something a couple years ago that we went to the movies and saw. I do not remember what it is, because I do have to admit, I, I confuse Owen and Luke all the time. Sure. I think they're in the, the same movies. But he, wasn't he just in something a couple of years ago? I don't, that, was a, that was a big movie? Not that I know of. He was in the, he really? was in the Zombieland sequel. He was in the Goldfinch. Which, but he which was, was in the Zombieland sequel release. for five minutes. He was like a guest Yeah, star. we, watched, we, we like, watched the Zombieland. We watched that double tap. It was fun. So maybe that's what I was thinking of. But he's, he, he's, he's in multiple I mean, movie projects just, every year going back years i'm just saying i mean look i like him i like him on the show yeah. he's great on the show and in true cw fashion it's like i don't know if they like have a deal with one of those like car auction houses or something but like everybody drives the sexiest classic monster <laughs> car you know like it's crazy <laughs> it's just insane. well i mean i think that that's i think that's part of the aesthetic of like the town you know yeah like blue it, valley it's, nebraska it's kind of time caps this, yeah. this kind of time capsule. Yeah, Casey. Well, last that's question. Too, she was like, "Put it in Nebraska." Yeah, in Nebraska is the coolest thing for us, right? I mean, how many? There's a, a lot of stuff, obviously, that's going through Nebraska in terms of comic books, but to have it in fictional Blue Valley, and then the reference, listening to the radio out of Lincoln to listen to NPR. Yeah, the last episode. That was yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. I thought that was awesome. Yeah, they paid a little attention there. It, they do make it a little ridiculous, small town for what is going on, and like the population is a little hard to swallow. (laughs) You go to small town Nebraska, it's not quite that diverse, I'm afraid. It's a a small, it's a small-ish town. You wouldn't call it a city. But there are hundreds of children in that high school. Yeah. Where are all those kids coming from? (laughs) Yeah, truly. Just like the actress. Remember, remember small town Nebraska is a conglomerate of towns going to one school. That's true. That's true. And that that was my situation in high school. Getting kids from all over. Okay, that's fair. I'll buy that. And, and to be fair about the diversity thing, like the injustice society. To be fair about diversity. Uh, <laughs> God damn it, Severe. Now you got well, us why on do racial I have to injustice. Defend this diversity. <laughs> Come on, man. We can't do this. <laughs> um, he, uh, like, the injustice society has basically like taken over this town, right? So, right. You don't know who's a plant. You don't know where these people are actually from. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I love it. I really love it. And I'm glad that you guys are enjoying it. Mike, thanks so much we for calling, are. man. I'm glad you got a show to watch with the kids. I know they get picky. Yeah. And you, you don't have to watch Paw Patrol anymore, which is good. They're growing up. But <laughs> <laughs> well, Paw Patrol, of course, now is too nice to the cops. All Paw Patrol no. bastards. I couldn't Paw believe Patrol they did that. Matter, like, man. Yeah, Paw Patrol yeah, lives yeah. matter shit. Or like, really, guys? <laughs> now? Seriously? <laughs> All right, Michael, we'll talk to you later, man. Thanks for calling in. Good hearing from you, bud. 402-819-4894 is your phone number. Yeah. Uh, Uh, You brought it up, the Infinity Incorporated. Is that what that was? Well, okay, so Beth Chappell and Yolanda Montez and Rick Tyler, they were like the successors to those Golden Age characters. 
in the pages of Infinity Inc. Okay. Um, in the eighties. And did um, Infinity Inc. take place in the future, or was that like regular modern DC? No, Infinity Inc. originally took place on Earth Two, uh, and the original, the original lineup uh, was you know the sons and daughters of the JSA. You had like Huntress and uh, Power Girl and and um, like Hawkman's kid, right? And that group, uh, Brainwave Junior. <laughs> Which is the greatest superhero name of all time? Brainwave Junior was his name. Brainwave Junior. That's right. That's like um, these. When we talk about like certain names, like the other, not too long ago, I put a thing on Twitter and I was like, "Worst code names, go!" And someone's like, "Star Spangled Kid." I'm like, "Yeah, that's terrible." Because at some oh, point, Star Spangled Kid was also from the 1940s. I get it, but at some point he's going to grow up, and then you're the Star Spangled Man, or what do you call yourself? <laughs> The well, Star I'll have Spangler? you know that the Star, the Star Spangled Kid grew up to become Sky Man. Okay, he didn't grow up to become Spangle. Spangle, yeah, no. Um, <laughs> it's like rappers as yeah. well, like Lil Bow Wow. Like I get it, yeah, you can just yeah, be Bow Wow later. Bow-wow. But that's a terrible name, you know. <laughs> okay, when will when will Lil Wayne just become Wayne? I see. I think he's too. He can't. You know, he built his fortune as Lil Wayne, so you can't. I guess there comes um, a point where you can't go back. And you're just the yeah, invisible no, girl forever. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, Infinity Inc. took place in like the modern day DC. And so when they mer- when they merged the Earths after Crisis, you know, it was the same situation. They were like the descendants of the Justice Society or whatever. Okay. We're going to do last call for uh, phone calls, 402-819-4894. If you want to call last in. Last call. It's 11.30. I agree, but this is me trying to mask the fact that not a lot of people are calling in, so <laughs> we don't have to talk the rest of the time. <laughs> uh, so Frank Cirillo posts in the chat, what are your thoughts on the CW firing Hartley Sawyer, uh, a.k.a. Elongated Man, oh. for his racist and misogynistic tweets? We should talk about this. You originally say, good job, CW. Joe had said, this is a news story, and I was like, is it news? I mean, like, the guy's an asshole, whatever, but this dude the it's one thing and you brought it up joe about how there were a group of people that tried to get james gunn fired based on old tweets that he made which and these old tweets were literally comedy fiction right and were they offensive sure some people got offended by him i would argue you don't have a good sense of humor whatever but this kid the kid that plays elongated man was like on twitter Talking about uh, like they were violent. Yeah, girls he wanted to date rape. Talked about like seeing girls mutilate boobs, sex traffic. Yeah, yeah like it was. I snuck a boob shot, you know, in like the dressing room today, and like had to go like rub one out. Like, are you fucking kidding me? And this this has all happened in the last what? Like, how old were these tweets? Three, five years? Twenty thirteen? Yeah, I mean. This was not like something like James Gunn tweeted this stuff in like 2006 or whatever, you know, when arguably people weren't as sensitive about certain things. But this kid is a CW star talking about his talking about people that he's on the show with that can see this. No, this was before he was on the show, but (sighs) regardless, thank you for calling THN cover to cover caller. Who this? Hey, it's Chase. Chase. How we doing, brother? Hey, Chase. Oh, pretty good. Good to hear from you guys. Yeah. What do you want to rap about today? Long time no talk, buddy. Yeah, it's been a little while. Uh, I wanted to give you a call because 
the topic for today times out pretty well with uh, an event this week because I was thinking a lot about Denny O'Neill. Yeah. So I know a lot of people talk about those Green Lantern, Green Arrow comics. And they're like, oh, those are so dated. Like, like ah, those don't really hold up today. And I'm thinking about those and how in middle school I used to volunteer at the Millard branch of the public library. And every summer as you're helping with the summer reading program, you have a ton of downtime to read. Right. And that got me into comics in a big way. And I remember – like digging through and finding like the Inferno collection and being like, well, this doesn't make any goddamn sense. <laughs> but those Green Lantern, Green Arrow comics, this is the same time where I'm starting to like listen to Rage Against the Machine in high school and like read Leonard Peltier's book and things like that. Yeah, dude. And like those comics unlocked something for me. They were like the ones that made me think, oh, comics can be about things. Comics yeah. can tell us things. That their didacticism was like something that just made me realize like, oh, comics are great. And so I was thinking about that reading experience and thinking about the fact that I'm like, I'm now a public school teacher and I'm bringing comics into the classroom and using like things like New Frontier to talk about coalition building and to teach students about activism. And I'm like, oh, I owe Denny O'Neill a lot. Yeah. This is the hard traveling hero stuff you're talking about, right? Yep. Where they like basically just said, all right, we're going to take a break from, and not to mention doing this with Green Lantern, a space cop. You know, it's one thing to take Green Arrow, who is a guy, and say he's going to deal with some real life issues. But now you've got Hal Jordan doing it too, and man, so, uh, dealing with drug I use. I did this out again yesterday, but there was something I came across when doing research a couple years ago, uh, where Denny O'Neill talks about how he envisioned Hal Jordan as a cop, and his language of how he was thinking about him in the '70s is so precise because he's like he's a crypto fascist. Like yeah. this is the sort of person that put us in Korea and Vietnam. Like O'Neill had the sort of like morality that holds up today and was applying it to comics in 1970 when the Nixon administration is only two years old. Yeah. He was a hippie. He was a full on hippie. Yeah. Jason Sachs was just talking yeah. about how Julius Schwartz was wearing a suit and sitting there and DC was basically run like a corporation and in walks this guy in flip flops and like a, and like a tie dye shirt that wants to write Batman. And they were like, I, uh, what? <laughs> I think in some ways he sort of, he's the guy who earned the reputation that people stick on Stanley now, because the truth is Stanley was like, He's kind of a centrist. There's there's so much material out there of him being like, you know, I, yeah. I don't think the, the the riots after King were right. Like, we shouldn't be destroying things. There's a right way to do things. Like, he sounds like Joe Biden. Yeah. Whereas O'Neill was yeah. the guy who was like, yes, we need to fight for the oppressed. We need to stand up. We need to, like, battle against the forces of corporations. Like, Definitely. He was the guy doing the things that are now, like, finally again on the cutting edge of our politics. We keep talking about how he made Batman like the Batman that we think of today. He also made Green Arrow even more so the character that I love who like Green Arrow was basically an extension of Denny O'Neill's ego more or less. He was like this liberal, you know, hippie, dippy, you know, like fight for the little guy, you know, and he was so great. And he would get in huge arguments with Hawkman who was just a complete fascist more or less. (laughs) And they were wonderful, wonderful stuff. He became like this liberal voice of the JLA as well, where we've got to take care of the little guy. We got to represent the little, you know, make sure everybody's okay. And, oh man, I love that Oliver Queen character so much because of Denny O'Neill. Without those comics, I think there's a reasonable chance that Green Arrow basically becomes a forgotten C-lister because Absolutely. up to that point, it was he was just a Batman knockoff. That's yeah. like, he like, was, that yeah. was the intention Arrow cave, the Arrow car, aeroplane, sidekick. Yep. 
it was deal. terrible. And then he found a, a way to like infuse this character with a life and make him beloved. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. It's too, yeah. And, you know, Matt, uh, you know, Matt mentioned it earlier in the show. It's like without Denny O'Neill's work at that time, you know, comics as we know them today would, would not exist. They'd be totally different. Most definitely. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, he had, he left such an incredible mark. You know, you want to, you want to make fun of the guy, creating a character who's got like half gorilla DNA and flaming swords or whatever. Look, Asriel's badass. <laughs> totally. But and that's, that's not the- his legacy. His legacy is his, his message of change as told through the, the lens of comics that got put in the hands of children yeah. who grew up with those lessons. Absolutely. Like Chase. And I think that that's sort of the timeless part because I wasn't reading these in the 1970s. I was reading these in, in our current millennia. Right. Yeah. And they were still having that impact. Um, there were a lot of other things. Like I discovered Watchmen in eighth grade and so many other like, books. But thinking back, I'm like, yeah, I, I found these when I was really young. And they still had that sort of effect. They, they still provided a lot of life and energy. And like those comics hold up. They do what they were intended to do. Totally. Totally. I, I'm embarrassed to admit, like, I didn't read those until after Kevin Smith, after his run on Green Arrow. And then I went back and because people said, like, this is so reminiscent of what Denny O'Neill did with Green Arrow and how the way the character talks and stuff. And so I went back and read all those. And that was 90s. And they still completely held up. And I bought that whole run. Fantastic stuff. Chase, thank you for your call, man. That was absolutely. I love talking about this shit. Thank you, brother. <laughs> Have a good morning, guys. You too. You too, buddy. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the legacy of Denny O'Neill can't be understated. Like, it's not just that the guy created some cool characters. No, it goes well beyond it, that. It's that the guy literally changed the way we see certain things through the eyes of these characters. Absolutely. I for, Yeah, I mean, I was sitting here squawking about Batman all the time. I forgot about how much I love his Green Arrow. Thank you for calling THN cover to cover caller. Who this? Hey guys, it's Frank Cirillo. Frank Cirillo. It's about time you jumped in here. We were calling you out. Jesus, Frankie. Come on, man. How are you? I I was, uh, there's a lot going on in my house. So I just wanted to take a couple minutes. Um, Hey, you know, I I don't know. Denny O'Neill. That's, that's huge. It's, it's like, it's up there. I mean, it's up there with like, like Stan Lee, you know, really isn't Jack Kirby. It is. But, because he 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 really changed the landscape of comics, and I remember I, I read you started to like he's oh I, I wasn't a guy who paid attention to writers you know when I was when I was younger so I was always about the artists, but like as you're talking about you know all these old books that he wrote and and I'm like oh my god I read that I read that I read that I read that and everything he wrote was amazing mm-hmm. and I just it's it really is like he really is like the architect of so much of the DC universe and you know and and Marvel universe to to a, probably a smaller smaller uh extent but yeah it's it's you know i mean as as um as as kevin smith is always fond of saying you know he it's a bucket of, his life was a bucket of wind you know like I mean, he used to, he got, used to get crap about it because people were saying wind they're saying wind but he's no man win win he won you know <laughs> yeah. I, I i love i love that term and, and kevin i'm you know i'm, I'm not, you know you know not of the hat to kevin smith to uh for, for coining that, but it's just a great way of saying like, you know, this guy did had a great life definitely, and, and he did. And, and, you know, so, uh, yeah. So, you know, hats off to Denny O'Neill, man. He's, 
he was great. Um, and yep. and the question of the week, you know, what I don't have a moment in comics that changed my life. I tell you what changed my life is comics because as a kid I didn't I, I I'm dyslexic and uh, I okay. didn't I, I couldn't read well. Frank, you know? if, if you're gonna make I mean, us cry, I'm warning you right now. We're not supposed to have feelings on the show, okay? <laughs> no, no feelings, no feelings. Okay. <laughs> um, no, no, it, it's just that I didn't I didn't want to learn how to read, and it was my dad reading comics to me. Me wanting to know what happened next. The pictures were there, but what did the words say? So it, it really forced me to learn how to how to read, you know. So and I and I credit them, and I and I say that one of the greatest teaching tools ever invented is is the comic book because it presents it presents a child who may have difficulty reading with pictures and with words, yeah. and then they want to they they can decode those words because the pictures are there. This kind of like dropped away sometime in the 90s when it just became like, why are there so many words and why are the pictures don't match the words? <laughs> right. You know, but <laughs> yeah. That was, that was a symptom. I think that was the, the symptom of the extreme comic books yeah. of the time. Here is a full but, explanation um, of what is happening in this panel next to a picture of a man right. flexing, you know? <laughs> right. And, and, and it's so, so in, I mean, I read, I, I, I was, I read a lot of stuff. Superman was my dad would read Superman to me. My dad would read Batman to me. Um, I would read the Hulk. I would read the X-Men. I would read anything I get my hands on. Fantastic Four. And it was, it was all, it was all just more fuel for reading. And, and it really made me want to read. And, and also, you know, to, to a smaller extent, it maybe wanted to go into teaching because it's like, it's an important thing to do. And I wanted to, you know, well, I'm an art teacher. I'm not an English teacher. So just, let's just put that out there. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair but you're making the so, you're making you know, the big art teacher bucks not like that you know oh crap yeah, oh english yeah. teacher I mean, what are they a minimum wage yeah, right now my, come on <laughs> you should see my gold-plated toilet <laughs> Ooh, <boy. laughs> so much no you're so much money you're absolutely right though like and it's one of those things like i my mother defended me in grade school because i would bring comics to school because that's what i wanted to read Mm -hmm. I wanted to read, yeah. you know, my comics at the time. And the teacher said he needs to be reading at a higher level. He needs to be reading this and that. And my mother was like, he's reading. He is reading. Right. And exactly. that's what's important. Look at these other dumb shits in this class. Like, like that kid's eating a pencil, you know, like my son is reading. Right. Maybe it's Spider-Man. Maybe it's X-Men. But he's excited about reading. And I full on had a, like ADD as a kid, big time. And when I yeah. sat down and read comics, I settled down and I read and I could, like you said, the pictures, the words together, it was a whole nother level of like accessibility oh, yeah. to reading that wasn't necessarily in my grade school curriculum. And it made right. me and, the know, voracious reader I am today. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it really kind of brings up the fact that up until maybe I'm going to say like the year 2000, comics were not seen as an art form. And it's yeah. only, only until then you really see comic books as acknowledged as the art form that they are. It's because it was like, Oh, it can't be its own art form because you know, eight people work on that. Right. Like, yeah. But that's a still, you know, so I mean, I had an argument with my professors in college at art school, you know, who was like, Oh no, no, comics aren't, comics aren't real art. You know, like, ah, anybody can, he's like, ah, anybody can draw Spider-Man. Go I'm for like, it. What? But, but comic books are awesome. Yeah. You know, uh, so yeah, there's this, but, and, and thanks for answering my, my, my question there. I was like, cause I, I saw, I, I, I wanted to hear your thoughts. Cause I, I know, I know it's kind of a guy, you know, guy's kind of a shady, it's kind of a shady, shitty thing to do. 
Um, but you know, I just want to want to hear your thoughts because I'm sure that there's oh, more the to it. Oh, man thing. It, is it weird? Yeah. 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 Is we, it weird we, that we they... kind of we got we got cut off uh, by a phone call before I was able to get into it? People, you know, want to compare this to what happened to James Gunn. The difference between what Hartley Sawyer did and what James Gunn did is that James Gunn had apologized for those tweets right. years before Marvel hired him. Right. Yeah. Marvel already knew and this about guy them. Hasn't even said a he word. Had, right. Like Marvel. James Gunn was like, yep, you know, I was, you know, trying to be this edgelord comedian and it, it was insensitive. Mm. I'm, and that all happened before he got this work. Right. And then when those right wing assholes dredged it up again and got him fired from Guardians 3, like Marvel caved instead of saying, no, we already dealt with this once. Right. And this, uh, and and Hartley Sawyer, he just put that shit out into the universe. Did not apologize for it. Didn't take any effort. Like didn't make any effort at all to hide it. Well, I also find it extremely wow. hard to believe that the CW doesn't vet this shit. Nobody looked at this dude's Twitter account. Seriously, I mean, this was are they going to go back that long? Though? I mean, but why? I think you have to. I think that is part of the deal now. So otherwise, no, you're like, oh, so. you're right. Look, you're the company that hired the date rapist, or look, you're the company that hired the Nazi sympathizer, yeah. or you know, whatever. It's not hard to check. I mean, and sure, you might right. have to go back a little ways, but you're paying people to do this. You have people on staff to do this. I find it very hard to believe that they're like, we like him, hire him, screw it. I don't know anything about him. Don't right, tell me right, anything. Right. A quick Google search can come up with this shit. It, it just blows oh, yeah. my mind that they didn't see this yeah, coming. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, like, yeah. so, you know, the, the, my last word on the James Gunn co comparison is that James Gunn has proven and displayed an effort to grow and learn and change over the years. Right. And Hartley yeah. Sawyer is just like, sorry, I got caught. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, and and, did, did uh, and so yeah, the CW absolutely made the right call. Fire his ass. Totally. Yeah, but yeah. they did, they did should I have caught this guys... before it happened. Is my point. It's not like he was part of some like yeah. nasty secret child porn ring in a corner of the internet. He was posting this shit on his personal Twitter. Come on, guys, right. do better. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Uh, did my I ever only tell you guys my theory on James Gunn getting fired from Disney. No. It was okay. So James Gunn gets fired from Disney right before the, the Fox, right before they're about to buy Fox. He is a James Gunn is an extremely vocal opponent of, of the current president. Oh yeah. Um, that's why I think he was fired, and I think he was told, "Don't worry. Once the deal goes through, we're going to wait. We're going to lay, lay low for six months to a year. We're going to hire you back." Yeah. I guarantee you that's what happened because they hired him back i think similar shit happened with chuck wendig in star wars too absolutely chuck wendig yeah. was a very vocal opponent of you know trump and the trump white house and shit mm -hmm. and disney and ike perlmutter are were working together and marvel's putting this shit out and they're like get rid of him he didn't even say anything yeah. offensive you know he was just vocal in and he's allowed right. to do that when you you're right. not a pundit when you work for fucking Marvel, you're a creator. Yeah. And maybe you do work for a major corporation and whatnot, but I guarantee he was fired for that crap, which is just stupid. Well, you oh, don't yeah. think you don't think it, that I've seen the same sort of stuff coming out of the accounts of like less famous comic book creators. Oh, yeah. Chuck Wendig oh, was yeah. a target because he's a famous novelist. Right. Right. You know, yeah, like yeah, definitely. But Patrick Gleason posts something. 
yeah. oh, Derek Robertson posts right. something and critical of of, yeah. of the current political climate, and nobody gives two shits. He's just some dude. Yeah, I, I was gonna I was gonna be funny and go who no. <laughs> <laughs> but the I think the point is don't confuse that shit with this yeah. sexist borderline like rapist that we've got right. know, playing right. elongated that's, man. That's I mean, messed up. yeah, that's false equivalency. What I would like just because of my own selfish nerdy needs they were like they're so close they were so close to ralph and sue <laughs> ralph and you sue know, Dibney, I, they were I, so close <laughs> you know what just you know what they can recast they can him with anybody else yeah just recast him with anybody else. he's made a rubber <laughs> yeah no doubt he's yep, a rubber yep. band. And they can he even joke about face. it like you look a little different. He's like, oh, I forgot what my old face looked like. Ha ha. You know, whatever. Let's go. Yeah. Or, <laughs> Done. Or he's got to go into hiding. Maybe he pretends to get. Maybe they pretend to get. A, he gets murdered, and he's got to. He's got to take on a different identity. Change his face. Sure. They can. They, they can completely keep this character. I really and I hope they do because I, I really it. like the character, and I thought he was doing. I thought he was doing a good job. But you know what? You can't continue with your. Scumbag. No, and but, I think the CW um, will over course correct and they will erase yeah. him from the show altogether and he oh, will never not. be mentioned again because that's how no, they're, I hope they don't have the balls to do it the right yeah. way. They're just now they right. have to now they have to course correct because they hired a fucking monster. Yeah. 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 I, I hope not though because he was a good character. You know, the road he was written well, he was an interesting character. It was like going, it was going in a cool, in a cool direction. Yeah. It's too um, bad. I agree. But, but Joe Patrick, I want to say, Joe, I want to say your I loved your uh, what we do in the shadows drawings last week. So, <laughs> Thank so, you. So great. I love that Thank show. You. And uh, <laughs> I am I am a big fan of your of your Instagram right now. Yeah, the gear. Yeah, you've inspired, you inspired me to draw, go back and draw as well. Like I'm trying to trying to draw every day. Oh wow! Now. I just can't post every day because I'm I'm, I'm doing a lot. You know what? I, I'm doing a lot of painting on Procreate now. It's, it's an interesting process. Because it's it not, is, yeah. you know, I'm trying. Yeah, it's try painting. I, 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 I thought there's one guy I followed. And I can't remember his name. Andrew. I can't remember his last name. But he, um, he. I said, what, what? How many layers are you using? What kind of, you know? He said, what kind of brushes are you using? So I tried using those brushes, and I, and I just use it on. A, I think I do a single layer painting, and I, I, I'm really happy with the results. I'm really happy with the results. It's, it's more like real. It's more like like painting in real life. Frank, post know? that shit so we can yeah. see it, man. Get it up there. He right does. About it. It's well, on his I Instagram. Did, did. Oh, okay. Ask Joe to check out my Instagram. Right. Why don't you follow oh, me? Oh, I follow you, Frank. I love your stuff, stuff, man. I'm too busy following predators and taking them down. So you know how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Gotcha. You're, you're a real <laughs> modern day Chris Hansen. Yeah, that's my job. <laughs> I invite him into the house. I tell him to take off all their clothes. We'll have a burger and have sex. And then the cameras are there. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for the kind words, Frank. I really appreciate it, man. <laughs> yeah. Good to talk to uh, you, Frank. Yeah. Good talk to you guys. And, and uh, can't wait. I can't wait to hear from you next time. Awesome. I'll talk to you guys soon. Talk to you later, buddy. Have a good week. Have a good week. All right. That is it for calls. Let's get started with our voicemails here. Uh, Jimmy Randall called us, and he wrote us a little message in all caps. It just says, I'm drunk. <laughs> Greetings, everybody. Jimmy Randall, MP3, uh, answer to the question of the week. You know the drill. So um, thanks for choosing my question, by the way. I'm pretty excited to see what everyone else has to say. Uh, so... You know, I was tempted for my answer to go with Transmetropolitan because that book just made me hate 
all politics and all politicians, but, you know, it made me really cynical, which is a pretty negative thing. It's not a positive thing, and I'm the, I'm the kind of guy who will light a candle instead of cursing the darkness. Now, that brings me to my true, honest answer. Now, it's, it's a recent one. It's a recent life-guiding little splurt of reality, but that's the thing, you know, we're always learning. Yeah, we can always grow. You're never too old to get a heap and helping of life lessons. All right, so my answer is from the Flintstone series from 2016 through uh, Hanna-Barbera and DC, the crossovers. It was written by Mark Russell, who I'm pretty sure is a modern-day prophet. Like, the series deals with everything that defines humanity, like class warfare, actual warfare, science, religion, marriage. There's, there's this great arc where the citizens of Bedrock are getting used to the idea of marriage, not just uh, using the sex cave <laughs> to get pregnant. Uh, and they use the Great Gazoo to amazing effect. It's just a treat. Look, if you haven't read it, read the damn thing, you big poops. So my answer is from issue seven. Now, a bit of a backstory. There's a new guy working at the quarry, Mr. Slate's quarry, and uh, there's an accident and he gets trapped and Fred wants to rescue him and Mr. Slate's like, nah, boys, pack it in. And there's this this little scene where, you know, Fred really wants to rescue him, wants to go above and beyond. Mr. Slate doesn't want it. And Mr. Slate says, like, hey, Flintstone, why do you even care? It's not like he was family. He wasn't even a friend of yours. And Fred replies with, uh, because if civilization is going to last, if it's going to amount to anything more than just a place to watch TV and get cheap snake meat, it will only be because we've learned to do one thing. Oh, yeah, wise guy, and, and what's that? <laughs> voice acting. Well, Mr. Slate, it'll be because we've learned to care for people who mean nothing to us. Yeah. To care for people who mean nothing to us. Like, I, when I read that, I was like, ah, oh, hell yeah, dude, sign me up for that kind of DC Hanna-Barbera crossover stuff. Woo, you know what I'm saying? Give me some Whoa. Mark Russell nuggets. Jesus. Yeah, baby. All right, that's my answer. Jimmy, out. God, all hell broke loose in the end of that one. Wow, wee, zowie. That was a really good answer, though. It was a good answer. And for being totally drunk, hats off, Jimmy. Yeah, not bad. He could still, like, scratch records and shit and fart. I mean, like, the farting, I guess that's always for him. So, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we got, I think it's a new guy. I think we got a new caller here. Jason from Austin, maybe? Hey, two other nerds. This is Jason from Austin. Uh, calling in regards to the question of the week. Uh, I just want to let you guys know that I think that Day Tripper is the comic book that has uh, touched me and made me grow as a human being and as, as a man. Uh, the most Fabio and Moon, they were the ones that uh, kind of said that you got to take every moment as you can. Your life can change, your life can die, or when people pass away. You can go at any time. you got to Take advantage of any opportunity. Talk to that brain. Talk to that girl. Make those decisions. That's it. Day Tripper is definitely by far the comic book that's touched me. Well, you know, not touched me, but made me grow. How about that? Thanks, <laughs> Jason, welcome sure. aboard. Nice to have Show you. Show us on sir. the doll where Day Tripper touched you. <laughs> Day Tripper is an incredible book. And Day Tripper is one of those books that will make you cry. Yeah, yeah, I I loved Day Tripper. Um, Jason, welcome aboard, buddy. Yeah, love it. New callers, uh, Fabio Moon, Gabriel Ba. That book is definitely in print. Go pick this one up. It's an incredible read, and it like this isn't every once in a while. Joe and I do read stuff that's not superhero stuff, and man, this one best limited series. It won an Eisner in twenty eleven. 
It won a Harvey that same year, and it won the Eagle. So it cleaned up. This is fantastic stuff. Go find Day Tripper. Oh. Next up, we got cover to cover stalwart Ryan Mount. Good morning. This is Ryan Mount, a.k.a. Hebrews, calling in with the answer of the week. The year was 1991. It picked up an issue of Fantastic Four, number 357. And, uh, you know, the lesson I learned there is that one day I would undoubtedly marry a Skrull. Uh, That was the introduction of Lijah after apparently 100 issues of Alicia Masters' loving Johnny Storm, uh, it turns out it was a Skrull. So one day I knew that, you know, I lived my life knowing I was going to marry a Skrull. My wife hasn't told me that yet, but um, I'm still waiting. Uh, (laughs) But what I really want to talk about was The Last Days of American Crime. Uh, I thought it was an okay-ish movie. Um, You know, I don't know if the comic book was very good. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, if it's worth going back and checking back out. But I just thought that Den of Thieves did something very similar without the comic book stuff, you know, uh, a couple years ago. So, you know, it was okay. It was fine to put on in the background of working. I don't think I'd ever revisit it, though. Uh, So just curious what you guys think. All right. Talk to you next week. Bye. I watched the first hour, I think, of The Last Days of American Crime. It is garbage. It's just garbage. And the comic book was excellent. Rick Remender wrote it. Yeah. Greg Tacchini. Yes. Uh, yeah, I remember us really liking that uh, when we read it. Uh, it came out through that weird little imprint that was doing like pulp crime comics. Yeah, Radical. It was, radi- uh, it was Radical Comics. I'm looking at it right now. It's so hard to Google it now that there's a movie out. Uh, if you add comic to the end of the title, I, you can. Yeah, run. I did. And it's still the first thing was Netflix. Yeah. Radical, radical publishing. Mm-hmm. Um, they had, they had that kind of crime imprint, And um, I really remember enjoying it. Uh, Greg Tacchini, to say the very least, he's an artist who I will read anything yeah. that he does. He's a wildly um, talented artist. God, that guy's good. The premise is that, you know, in the, in the near future, Uh, The U.S. government has a plan to broadcast a signal that makes it impossible for anyone to knowingly commit unlawful acts. And so it's and so like they're trying to distract the public with all of this crap to keep them from figuring out what's going to happen. And yeah, it's it's a fun idea. It's very uh, it's very purge kind of type thing almost. Yeah, where it's yeah. Like, I mean, kind of like a like a purge and a watchman situation. Yeah. Where it's like, and you have these criminals that are getting ready to do something to distract these people from nuclear war. Right. I got it. Squid. And in the meantime, you have these criminals that are like, okay, well, we found out this is coming, so we are setting up the biggest score of our lives before yeah. it happens. They because they're like, we, we give up. We know there's nothing we can do, so let's make sure we're rich and do this one last crime. The movie gets it so goddamn wrong and just gets lost in macho bullshit in like they just if if, you know what it reminded me of uh what was the movie the god i can't say the name the two irish guys crime movie cult film that everybody loves so much boondock saints boondock saints all style zero substance zero substance and i'm sorry boondock saints sucks don't tell me it's a good movie. It's a terrible film, all right? And this just reminded me of that. I turned it off halfway through, and I wanted to, like, write Rick Remender and be like, hey, I'm sorry, man, you know? <laughs> it's um, got to be sad. It's got to be like Warren Ellis felt like when he saw Red. You know, like, they gave him the script, and he's like, this is 
this is what you're going to do with red. Oh, okay. It's like, well, oh, but that's the check I get? Oh, well, you know. <laughs> All right. <laughs> like I read some about uh, Warren Ellis a while ago when he was like, look, was it a good movie? No. Did I buy my daughter a pony that year? You fucking bet I did. I bought her two. <laughs> so Boondock Saints is like, in the in the early to mid 90s, it's like, you know that that guy wants you to think he's edgy if he's got a Pulp Fiction poster hanging on the room of his on the wall of his dorm. Oh yeah, Boondock Saints was the same thing for like the next generation of of, of shitty college kids. Yeah, God, Lassie's American Crime sucked. Do not waste your time. I think it's at like something really low, like twelve percent or something on Rotten Tomatoes right now. It's getting its ass kicked. All right, back to the phone lines. Yeah, yeah, James Kaplan. Hey guys, James Kaplan here. Uh, I don't know what the question of the week is, so I don't have an answer for that. But I was just calling to say hello. Hope you guys Thanks for nothing, well. James. Um, I'm actually off to go to a comic shop called Newberry Comics in Boston that I haven't been able to go to in, like, months and months. So I'm just really excited about that to go and just browse and, you know, buy some stuff. And uh, I don't know. In comics, let's see. I just today read the new issue of Decorum. Um, by uh, Jonathan Hickman and Mike Huddleston, and I still kind of have no idea. I mean, I have a vague idea what's going on in the comic, but I don't even care because it's such an amazing-looking comic. Like, I had never even heard of Mike Huddleston before, um, you know, before Decorum. I went back and read Butcher Baker, which is super bonkers. So good. Um, <laughs> but he is a beast. He's like, he's got like three completely distinct art styles that he uses in one issue of the comic. He's like, oh, like, now he looks like Marco Rudy. Now he looks like Matteo Scalera. Now he looks like Becky Clunet. Like, it's just, anyway, he's, he's incredible. The story is big and bonkers, and I'm just enjoying it. And I'm just, frankly, just excited that comics are back and we're getting new stuff every week. Legion uh, was super fun this week as well. Uh, anyway, all right. Uh, take care, guys. Bye. Newberry Comics in Boston. I've been there. It's a great shop. That's awesome. Thank you, James. Uh, yeah, Decorum, uh, Mike Huddleston, the way that he is able to use multimedia, like multiple, not just multiple styles, but it's like, this is clearly drawn in some sort of charcoal. Right. This is fully painted. Right. He's like one of those it, like, musicians that's like, oh, you need me to play piano? No problem. And he, oh, drums? Sure. I can do that. Yeah. I play a little guitar. You know, what the fuck? <laughs> you know? When did yeah. you have time to get good at all this shit? <laughs> Uh, Legion of Superheroes. Patrick mentioned it in the chat, and he also mentioned it on his on the latest episode of his web series, Thank God It's Wednesday, which you can find at twoheadednerd.com and on YouTube. That's right. Um, is that how we're saying it now? YouTube? YouTube. Okay. <laughs> it's, Legion of Superheroes is not as much fun as I was hoping it would be. Really? I got to catch up. But- I- I, I, I love it. I love the, I mean, I'm a lifelong Legion fan. That's not it at all. I'm, I'm excited about the new characters that he's adding in, but like right now it is everything that people have criticized Bendis about in the past where it's just like 30 characters all shouting two sentences at a time. Right. And it like, is that it's how kids so chaotic talk, though? I mean, isn't that how a group of kids talk? Yeah, I mean, I guess, but like, so this issue, the, the the issue that came out most recently, it made a big deal of like saying, in this issue, meet the three new, uh, meet the four newest Legion characters, Superboy, Dr. Fate, 
Gold Lantern, Monster Boy. I'm like, yes, I've been waiting six months to learn about these weird legacy characters, and it doesn't happen. <laughs> in, fa- in fact, uh, when Gold Lantern shows up and does something, and Superboy's like, oh, hey, Gold Lantern, that's weird. And one of the other characters, I forget who it is, Lightning Lad maybe, he okay. says, oh, yeah, he's got such a cool story. Wait till you hear it. And that's it. <laughs> they don't actually give you the story. <laughs> and I was so upset. I was like, God damn it. Why can't I want to know what these characters are? But and I don't know. There's just something about Legion that I find slightly underwhelming. Fair I still enough. am enjoying myself. I got to catch up. I, I will yeah. say so far, this is the best Legion stuff, in my opinion, that I've ever read because I don't have the same cachet or history and it's very hard for me to care about them. So just the fact that I'm reading it every month, kind of miraculous yeah, no, I get for it. me, you know? And you, look, Ryan Sook, man, he's a beast. Uh, yeah. Ryan Sook is that a phenomenal artist rules. and it's a beautiful book. All right, let's get to our answers. Okay, so I, this is like I had a couple picked out, but really uh, Frank really moved me with his call. There might be individual moments, but really comics as a whole changed the person that I would become. You know, I taught myself to read with comics. I taught myself to draw with comics. I learned moral lessons from comics. I learned, uh, you know, compassion from Superman. I learned uh, what it means to, like, persevere from Spider-Man. I learned how to murder Uh, from the Punisher. Yeah, you know, (laughs) uh, it it wouldn't be until years later that I discovered the X-Men, but obviously the X-Men have a huge, like, social justice component uh, in, in their backstory. And so, like, really, my the, so much of my morality and how I view the world was shaped in part by comic books. Um, if I were gonna, if I were going to hold up like specific specific moments, one of the oldest ones from when I was very young, uh, I had a reprint. Uh, it was a Marvel Tales issue reprinting Amazing Spider-Man thirty-three, uh, which is the very famous issue where he is pinned under the machinery that's too heavy for him to lift. Yeah. And he's he knows that he's got to get to Aunt May or she's going to die. You know, Uncle Ben taught me never to give up no matter the cost. You know, he summons the strength and the will to free himself. Uh and I like as a kid, like 6 7 years old reading that I was like, "Holy shit, man." Yeah. That's heavy stuff. And then more recently in, in the modern day, um I don't think I don't think that a comic has touched me as deeply as an adult as Grant Morrison's all-star Superman. Yeah, that's uh, fair. That's definitely fair. Where the guy is like using his last, he's, he's using his last days of life to do whatever he can to save lives. And, and you know, it, there are like fun kind of heady sci-fi moments where it's like, I'm in the kid's cancer ward. Don't worry. I brought a dozen Kandorian scientists and they're all going to cure you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but like the number one moment for me is Superman taking the time out of his day. Like the dude's got to go punch the parasite in the face. But what he does is that he hears the plight of this girl who was supposed to meet with her doctor and the doctor got caught up because there was some sort of nonsense going on. You know, you um, told the story in the show like four times, right? Yeah, I know. But <laughs> okay. I'm telling you now. And and so Superman like saves the doctor and gets him back on track. 
and he takes the time to go up and like she's on the ledge of a of a high rise and you she's gonna jump so there's one panel where she's just there and then the next panel you see superman's massive chest behind her he has come to put his hand on her shoulder and say look you're stronger than you think you are it's true your doctor really did get held up you have the strength you can do this and like that that just hits me right in the gut oh yeah man oh yeah and that's uh, just showing this is a guy that knows how to write Superman. That's all that is. Yep. If you say yep. that Superman can't be in good stories, you don't understand the character. And I agree. There's plenty of shitty Superman stories. Graham Morrison is a guy that knows how to write fucking Superman. Yes, 100%. Uh, mine actually comes from Kevin Smith, which I don't like to admit because I'm not the biggest Kevin Smith fan. But You like the one where the Joker offers to let dead yes. violate his yes his butthole. <laughs> uh back in this is the 90s uh, he took over daredevil when they relaunched daredevil and the first story was all about mysterio saying you know what screw spider-man i'm gonna go fuck with daredevil and they do this whole thing where there's a child that is born that daredevil has to save there's uh the mother is murdered and it all turns out to be you know, misdirection and garbage by Mysterio, who is actually dying from inhaling his own like gases that make you see stuff. And he wanted like one more hurrah, but he didn't want it with Spider-Man. Spider-Man was too busy for him. So he's like, fine, just, I'm going to when you put your when you put yourself in a costume with a fishbowl helmet, you got to watch those exactly suits, what you get. And in the end, when it's all over with Daredevil is talking to Spider-Man and he is just so upset about this whole thing and the nonsense of it all and how it was all this guy's ego that pushed this. And, and he's so fired up about it that it's like exploding to Peter. They're on top of a building and talking. And Peter has always looked up to Daredevil. Like, this is the guy. He's got it all put together. He's a lawyer. He's a crime fighter. He's doing the job. And whereas Peter's life just was a mess constantly. And for Daredevil to break down like this in front of Spider-Man, he's just taken aback, listening to Daredevil basically saying, why are we even doing this? What do we do this for? People are still going to die. Every person you save, there's four more that are going to die. And everyone is guilty. Everyone that we're going after is guilty of something, even the people that we're trying to save. And he's just losing his mind, and he's yelling at Spider-Man in the end, like just getting more and more fired up. And Spider-Man stops. And just in this incredible scene, just stops and looks him straight in the face. And he says, you saved that, that baby girl's life. You remember that, right? And Daredevil shuts up, just goes silent and looks up in the sky. And Peter, man, and Peter looks at him and says, I'll see you around campus, buddy, and swings away. And just like, oh, my God, in that moment just to take everything apart that Daredevil has dealt with, his horrible life, this ridiculous story he just went through, and remember, you're a hero, and you did the hero job. Yeah. You've got to yeah. focus sometimes. And it's just like in my life at that time, I was going through some crazy shit, and just stepping back for a moment to remember, look, all we can try and do is the right thing, and that's what you did. At the end of this you did the right thing. And it just led me in my own life to be like, yeah, things are out of control and I'm trying to deal with a lot of shit. And sometimes you just have to step back 
and make sure the decision that you're making right now is the right one. And just nailed me. Nailed me. Kevin Smith. Well done, sir. It's a good answer. Ugh. Love that issue. All right, enough of this crap. Let's get a new question of the week on board, please. All right. This week's question was submitted by Ryan Hebrews Mount via the THN forums. You may recall hearing from him earlier in the episode. With cons canceled for the year, one major thing we lose out on is finding artists to commission. While most of us don't have the extra money to shell out to names working at Marvel, DC, and Image, there are still plenty of artists out there. How do you go about finding artists for commissions during this time? Side question, what are some of the favorite art commissions that you've had done? In Ryan's case, he says, I can't believe that I got a Moon Knight from David LaFuente. Oh my God, that is amazing. But yeah, so for those you art collectors out there, how are you handling your art habit in these difficult times? Well, you know, uh, and then also, what's your favorite piece of original art that you own? Yeah, and it hasn't been hard. A lot of these guys have been out of work, so they're like, ask me to draw something. Commissions <laughs> are open. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm actually upset that I didn't get on board earlier because there were some of them I hit up and I was like, hey. And they're like, sorry, man, I've got like 200 today. <laughs> I'm like, oh, God damn yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That'll be fun to talk about next week. You can join in on the conversation if you watch us on Facebook Live. We go live at 1030. We open the phone lines at 11 o'clock. One last time, that phone number, 402-819-4894. You can also hit the call now button. You can chat with us on Facebook. You can shoot us an mp3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. We don't have a show without you guys. Thank you to everybody that called in. Welcome aboard to, was it Jason in Austin? Is that his name? Jason. Jason in Austin. Always good to have a new caller. This week, we're going to post Casey and I's new Patreon exclusive where we are chronologically watching the X-Men movies. It is not as easy as chronologically watching the Marvel movies. <laughs> Last night, we watched Apocalypse, and I had to explain why we watched Wolverine Origins in between Days of the Future Past and Apocalypse and why it makes absolutely no sense in the timeline whatsoever. So, <laughs> well, they rebooted the timeline. that Which I have to keep explaining. But she's like, but this happens later. I'm like, I know. I don't know if you understand, like, what a reboot is. She's like, I know what a reboot is. I'm like, no, but they rebooted reality. <laughs> Trying to have that conversation with someone who hasn't lived through a million comic book reboots and reality paradigm shifts. It's interesting. You'll be able to find that on Patreon, and we'll just start posting them weekly after that because we've already banked like four of them. It's a ton of fun. Thank you, everybody listened and played along. We'll be back to do it again next week. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off.